0: Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your Sad Girls. Going back to empathy today.
1: Yeah, we've touched on it previously in our, um, our Men More Emotional episode. I still love
0: <laughs> the uh, description you, for that episode. You mean, are women more emotional? Oh, yeah. The answer yeah. is no. Oh, right, right Are right, men right. more emotional? Kind of, yeah. Yes. <laughs> in I a mean, way. Yeah, in, in, in their own
1: special way. Yes. Yeah. That was a good one. That was. But yeah, we talked about empathy a little bit in that one,
0: but this is a a deep dive into empathy. It's just a big psychology concept. And this is that kind of selfish thing of like, oh, this is something I want to learn more about. And maybe you do too. So my focus today wasn't too much on the patriarchy element, um, but we'll tie it all together in the end.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important. I mean, there's a lot of memes in the, the meme verse about teaching men empathy and yes. empathy being an important Factor of being a woman, so it it ties
0: in. Sure, it's it's in there. Yeah, let's. I feel it. Understand how it works. Yeah. I saw a chair today on Instagram that I sent you. Did you see this? This is like a fidgety chair. It like has multiple layers. Some like slide around. You can sit in it in like 12 different ways. And I was like, give me this chair right now. Oh, my God. I love that. I can't sit in a chair for shit. No, it's for the bisexual babes. Yeah. I
1: like I don't I don't know what it is, (laughs) but like I'm excited to look at this now because it's just
0: like they're all wrong. It doesn't matter what chair you give me. I'm like, nope, hate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very modular. Yeah. post it. Every time I say that, I forget. I probably won't post it.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, "There's probably a lot of things yeah. that we said we were it. gonna post, it and then
0: we haven't." Just DM
1: me. Yeah, I feel like we do post all the memes we reference, though. Try
0: to. That's the important part. I read a thread on Threads, which, now that I've said that out loud, is kind of like maybe they should have named this differently. Because, eh. like, what else would you say? You're on Threads. You're on the Twitter knockoff that Meta made, and then what you read a a, a dialogue. You read a thread, right? That's yeah. what it has to be. I'm trying
1: to think of another word. I'm like, tweets? I'm like, no, wait, different website. No. it's a, Yeah, it's a thread.
0: Yeah, so I read a thread on threads. Not, not my fault that it's called that. Um, and it was about how someone was like, I'm so sick of podcast hosts just coming up with something random to talk about for 10 minutes, like, just get to your fucking topic. I'm like, no.
1: No. That's a no for me, dog. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I know a lot of people complain about that, like a lot of podcasts I listen to. They're like, I know you just want us to get into it, so all you skippers that skip the beginning, I'm like, who the fuck skips the beginning of a podcast?
0: Agree. It depends on the podcast, because especially when I'm researching something, I do just want to get to the content, but if it's a host that I basically hang out with as I'm washing my dishes, I'm very interested in their lives. Yeah.
1: I think maybe small talk, when they have like a guest on, gets on my nerves. Like if they have like a guest speaker Mm. on like an important topic, when I'm like looking for, like researching a specific one, and they have like, an expert on this blank thing on this established podcast and they're like so that kind of stuff yes sure. but when you have something actual to talk about i think it's okay
0: good because today i'm going to talk about my job interview <laughs> so suck it and <laughs> deal just, with it just briefly just briefly um it's for a grown-up job that they told me was a nine to six but then i got there and he was like so everyone's here nine to seven i'm like oh that's 10 hours of your day i would have been like so 10 to seven got it <laughs> Someone, one of the, the lessers, because I interviewed with two of the importance and then one of the other like lowly assistant people walked me out. So I was like, hey, so what's what's the scoop here? <laughs> what What is this really like? Tell me everything. And she said, yeah, she uh, definitely stays till seven. And they only are approved a few hours of overtime a week. But then it ends up just happening anyway. I'm like, I guess as long as you're getting paid OT for it.
1: Um, As long as you're getting paid OT for it every time. If not, I would definitely hit up the California Labor Board. They're real strict about that. True,
0: yeah. Um, I did tell them that I like working. And I like I mean it, though. There was a meme that was like, Yeah, I love working. I love when things are hard and bad. I'm like, me, but actually. <laughs> I don't like when
1: things are hard and bad, but I like working and being productive. I don't like it when things are oppressive and terrible.
0: I want to have a job that sucks up my time, my life, because I just do so much better when I'm in that space. And I have too much. I mean, I don't I could fill my time with more things, but because it's unstructured, I end up with too much free time of just rotting in bed and looking at my phone while Netflix is on. Yes. It doesn't feel good, and the interviewers did get into some like kids these days. Speak. They were like in their thirties. It's not like they were that old.
1: Christ. And
0: they both did it. It was did they do the? No one wants
1: to work these days.
0: In their hearts, they were saying that, but um, they work in careers that are very like friendly with people, kind of like sales sort of jobs. There are some kind of jobs where the people are trying to be your friend. Like when I work in restaurants and there's like a wine rep who comes in, that person, you can do no wrong with him no matter what happens. Like this is your buddy for sure. And like agents and salespeople, their job is to make you feel comfortable around them so that you you make more money together. Essentially you make them money. Right. I find them very easy to talk to because I can feel them like trying to Make me comfortable, but two male interviewers, both white guys, just kind of like different versions of the same person in suits,
1: <laughs> came from the same press.
0: The first one talked about himself a lot and like didn't ask me any questions about myself, which was kind of fine. And spent a lot of time on like, "What questions do you have for me?" And I'm like, oh, "God, okay, I'll get you talking." And then the second guy was like, "I'm sure you just went over this already, but if you could tell me your background, I know you just told that guy." And I'm like. Yeah. I I mean, I actually didn't, but I'm happy to do it now. That's fine.
1: That's... Yeah, I, I hate job interviews so much. I hate when they're like, do you have any questions for us? I'm like, yeah, but they're not going to be good questions that you're going to want to call me back for. I'm going to be like, um, so what's your uh, employee retention rate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to ask you questions that are going to grill you and uh, probably will not <laughs> return my calls afterwards. So I'm like, no, you, I always say, no, you answered all the questions that I had. You guys did a really good job explaining everything. Oh, there you. you go. flat out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a meme that's something like let a man talk about himself for an hour and he'll think he's in love with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, both these guys were married, but I did my best to just like shut up and let them talk about themselves. Yeah, that usually works. It went great. <laughs> they were very happy. I got my associate's degree in business management for some reason instead of just a general associate's. Huh. Um, I didn't think I was going to continue to a four year. So I was like, this is a versatile two year degree that will do something for me in business. In business. And. We- <laughs> And it was at a community college. So they did a lot of, like, interview prep and how to write your resume and, like, how to conduct yourself so you can get a job, which is great. I mean, that's what community college, like, should be for. Absolutely. And one tip they gave us that stuck with me... That I really liked was in that question portion, you can ask them, do you have any reservations about me that I can clear up? Just like anything at all that I maybe haven't answered. Because then you might get a sense of like, yeah, we don't really want you. Right. <laughs> Here's why. But yeah, they didn't really have anything. But that's... that's Maybe you put them on the spot. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. No, but I made it light. I was like, anything... Anything that you don't like, or that, I was like, maybe my collar isn't straight, or maybe it's my experience or something, you know, like something ha-ha. like that, right? <laughs> my collar or my experience,
1: my extensive <laughs> <of> job experience, <laughs> right?
0: One or the other. <laughs> um, and I'm older than some of the other people coming in for this position, but they said they like that because I'm Gen sure Z they prefer States. that. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the guys was like, you know, Gen Z, I, I hate to sound this way, but they were bringing up how they had movie tickets at 7:30 and the dance at 7. It was just this is your time to be here and just be with us. I I don't like basically like I don't want to hear about your life outside of work. You need to pretend it doesn't exist right now. Ew. I don't like that. And I told him that I think people just aren't used to corporate jobs and it's really common for young freelance artist types to not even necessarily artist types cuz like you have a job that has an irregular schedule. Yeah. It's just so much more common these days. Yeah.
1: And I get it. It's like the young people are trying to set boundaries, but a lot of them haven't had work experience to, like, know what boundaries to set. So they're coming in hot, I think, a little bit is is what's happening. It's like they want to work and they want to have, like, a good work-life balance, which I think everybody wants, but they're coming in with no clout to back up being like no I'm gonna do this this and this like you don't get that point yet and you guys are already coming in hot and you need to come in cool and then you gotta build up to hot
0: yeah and also who you talk to cause like I had the same questions about what commitments I have and how they would fit in but I was thinking like okay I'm gonna make sure to ask an assistant or ask the receptionist what they see like don't ask your boss or, yeah absolutely find an ally we're a team here yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find, find someone not <laughs>
1: not selling it for you.
0: <laughs> yeah but I told him that I think people are often used to the flexibility of being able to go out for brunch on a Tuesday at noon and then like get you know get stoned and go to the beach and, like haha isn't that crazy these wild kids and he was laughing and I'm like that's what I do by the way <laughs> <Just so laughs> you know. I, I didn't just make that up at Talking <laughs> about myself on a Monday.
1: <laughs> yeah I do that is one thing I am going to miss about my schedule, is mm. that I love having weekdays off, yeah. um, but I have also feel like I've missed out so many things over the years, like on holidays and weekends, where I'm just like, y'all have fun.
0: Totally. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I might I might change my whole life, and then I'll get to see what's going on on Saturday night. Yeah. Working at to 7. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it doesn't sound good at all. No. We'll have Dolly Parton rewrite it for you.
0: <laughs> she better. I'm going to start today with... Empathy deep dive. So, one definition of it that I liked that I found in a psychology paper was an ability to imagine oneself in another's situation and to share their mental state. Because there's different kinds of empathy. So, this definition requires two different elements here playing together. We talked about this a bit before, but just to refresh, cognitive empathy is understanding what other people are feeling. It's like more of a skill, but effective empathy means that we feel something in response to their emotions. So you can have cognitive empathy and be like, I get what they're going through, but it doesn't actually resonate with you. Affect and emotion are used pretty interchangeably in psychology, and that means you actually feel along with them. So you kind of need both, and you kind of need the cognitive empathy to have the emotional. Right, right. If you don't, otherwise you're going to have the wrong sense of it. Like, which I feel like that totally happens when people are like, oh, you poor dear, and it's like, I wasn't. I don't care right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. You're like, that's not the vibe right now. (laughs) You read it wrong. And then theory of mind also comes up in empathy studies a lot. That's our capacity as adults to understand that other people's thoughts and feelings are different from our own. It's like an ability that we develop from childhood into adulthood. It's like when little kids will cover their eyes and think that they're invisible. I'm not around kids, but I've seen this in movies. So that seems like a thing that, yeah, like you can't see me now, hide and seek, because they can't see out or if they'll like pick out a toy for someone else, but they just pick something that they want. It's because as a little kid, you don't really have a strong sense of like you are a separate person who has different states and is a totally independent person for me. I don't know if it's exactly selfishness, but we are definitely more in our own little world. As a little kid,
1: yeah, I mean, you don't have to think about other people because you're not responsible for other people in any capacity. And I feel like when you're a little kid, you you just feel like everything's about you because there's a lot of like attention you <laughs> right. get, not necessarily even wanted, right? And you don't have enough experience to like put that out there into the world either. You're like, I haven't experienced this, so I don't know how to feel about you experiencing that either. Yeah. So yeah, little kid brains are also stupid.
0: <laughs> they're so dumb. And they're idiots. <laughs> So they don't have, they don't really have empathy yet. I mean, they're not cruel. It's more just you need to go through these steps of like, you're a different person. I understand what you're feeling. And then you can get to now I feel for you. Little kids will show some empathy, but like it just becomes more nuanced and more accurate as you get older and are able to understand other people. I got into the etymology of empathy just because it came up at some point. I was like, why not? Why not? Let's do it. Empathy comes from... Ancient Greek root words, M, meaning in, and path, which can mean feelings, but also sorrow, suffering, or disease, like in pathology or pathetic. Oh. Yeah, which is very emo because you could say you're going into the feelings, like of someone else, or into sorrow, I'm or into suffering, into <laughs> which is what happens when you empathize sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a psychology term from the early 1900s, but empath actually came up in sci fi literature in the 50s, which was funny. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was a novel called The Empath, where the author made someone who was like a parallel to a telepath. So the telepath could read thoughts and the empath could read feelings. And then there was an X-Men character in 1968 who was called The Empath. And then there was a Star Trek Next Generation empath called Deanna Troy. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: She was the most annoying character. <laughs> <laughs> that's Next Generation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She, um, she was absolutely the worst because the whole thing with Star Trek is like a lot of them are like super logical and like don't mm. have emotions because that's silly and she like felt them too much. But it just kind of turned into her whining all the time.
0: I only watched it a little bit with my mom. Um, I thought Picard would make a good surrogate father. <laughs> I'm sure my mom would have married him had she had the chance. That's all I got. From this generation <laughs> Daddy <laughs> no, Please. <laughs> As my mom is like longingly watching him. Oh. Um there was a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There's a lot of like uh she would have like Gene Wilder. She really liked the smart weird people. She called them and I was like, You wish this was my dad instead. Instead, instead of my dad. Instead, yeah. Or <laughs> just a replacement. Yeah. Oh, Gene Wilder. Oh, R.I.P. Bud. Gem. Probably I actually don't know anything about his life personally. Well, do you want do you want to hear something sad? Okay.
1: Um so he ended up dying of and suffering from Alzheimer's mm. at the end of his life and he no one knew about it till he died cuz he didn't want anybody like the kids to know that loved Willy Wonka. So he Aww. like kept it from them and like kind of hid himself in secret so that the kids wouldn't be upset.
0: What an empath. What an empath.
1: <laughs> but like for real, I yeah. like, makes me tear up every time I <laughs> think <laughs> So about sweet. It.
0: Okay, so, oh yeah, it also made it into the New Age community, like as a type of psychic. That's, that's all I think about when I hear,
1: I'm an empath.
0: Yeah, it's like a mystical skill. It's like,
1: I don't, I think you can just read the room.
0: Totally, yeah, just read the room, bro. Yeah. So you can be empathetic without needing to call yourself an empath. What I was getting from that line is that... It's it's kind of a pop culture concept being yes. an empath. It's not like a DSM no. <laughs> entry or anything no. like that. But being empathetic is a real thing, and we think that it might have something to do with mirror neurons. Mm. Did you run into mirror neurons? No, actually, not with uh, with my subject
1: du jour. Uh, didn't come up when when I was looking, but it's okay. explain them to me. And maybe some words came up that yeah. you know, didn't say those words exactly, but I was like,
0: oh, but it did talk about this. Yeah, I got you because this is this is my bag. So we discovered mirror neurons in the early '90s. We were testing monkeys, monkeys again, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> monkeys and rats all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we were testing their motor system and. I couldn't I didn't really see what they were actually supposed to be testing because what they got out of this this study by mistake was so revolutionary that no one even talks about the point of the study. Oh yeah. It's it like doesn't like, matter. It literally <laughs> doesn't matter anymore. Who cares? The researchers got famous, move on. But they had electrodes. These like little thin needle electrodes that were inserted into individual neurons in the monkey's brains. So they had to be really tiny. And maybe their head was open. I'm not sure, but it seems like it might need to be. Doesn't seem to hurt though. You know, when you see those videos on reels where it's like someone's like playing violin while they work on their brain so they make sure they don't touch the wrong button? It's crazy.
1: Sorry, I'm just thinking. See, this is what
0: the (laughs) animal studies aren't great. Animals, I know. They're not great. These these monkeys sort of live to tell the tale. Okay, they live to tell the tale. Okay, good, good. I mean, I, th-
1: I think <laughs> hopefully they weren't completely traumatized and lashed out at humans at any chance they could get.
0: No, you can on. like poke at your brain. Yeah, there's not
1: like those type of pain ner- nerves. receptors. Yeah. No. Yeah, you Child. can. It's, yeah, a lot of head injuries too. It's like it takes a minute. When I got hit in the head when I was a kid, I didn't know I got my like face slashed open by a oh, surfboard. Yeah. I like came up out of the water because long story short, my friend and I were surfing. Really oh cool yeah. Surfers. She <laughs> fell off her board, and these were like old 1960s boards, so they weren't like safety (laughs) retrofitted or anything they were like super pointy really heavy and she fell off pretty violently and I ducked down to go under the water to avoid getting hit by the board Mm. I didn't realize I got hit by the board I went down I came back up and was like oh shit dog and she looked at me and started like screaming her head off because I was just like (laughs) my face was covered in blood and I didn't feel it until the wind blew and I felt like the wind just like on my open skin and then I was like <laughs>
0: ah! <laughs> but I didn't
1: feel it like at all. It was crazy.
0: That's uh yeah, that's kinda of horror movie. The person walks up and's like, Hey, what's going on? They're just gushing blood. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. Exactly what, what happened. <laughs>
1: Probably yeah. traumatized her forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I knew someone who got a concussion who smashed their head on a tile floor while they were drunk and didn't remember it and didn't find out until they found blood. But it wasn't hurting the next day or anything. Yeah. It's wild. Brains are weird, guys. Brains are crazy. But they had this monkey all hooked up to the electrodes. And by chance in the study, the researcher readjusted the placement of this peanut that, like, they had in front of the monkey just for part of their other purposes. And they saw that the cells in the monkey's brains that were responsible for planning movement were activated, even though they hadn't actually moved. So this is normally a cell that we use when we ourselves are moving but it was active even though someone else was doing the action was the crazy part so we thought prior to this that there were cells i'm using cells and neurons interchangeably because neurons are cells yes we thought that there were cells that control perception and cells that control actions like i see you or i'm doing but after this the monkey saw the thing, and then the action cell lit up, which was crazy because so it's the like, monkey saw and the cells did. So what <laughs> see, the monkey do? Yeah, <laughs> colon mirror neurons. <laughs> <laughs> Deep dive into the history of the yeah. study. <laughs> Monkeys see neurons too. Whoa, well, that's good actually. Mirror neurons are a type of neuron that are active both when you do the thing and when you see someone do the thing. And it wasn't like every action was associated with a mirror neuron. They call it your mirror, mirror neuron system. It was cells that were specific to certain movements. So, like, they didn't fire when the researcher would just scratch her head, but it would when she reached for food. Mm. So the monkey's mirror system, which is a population of mirror neurons, would respond to goal-directed Actions and, like, object-directed actions, like, reaching for something, which makes us think that it's, like, important for survival, maybe for learning how to acquire food or survive. Not just, like, everything you do, I respond to it. And spoiler alert, humans have them too, but they work a little differently. This makes sense. Yeah. We haven't been able to test them as thoroughly in humans because. You can't just have needles sticking <laughs> out of your brain with your like
1: brain flap open. Pretty much, yeah, that's yeah. what I was getting. The whole eth- ethical thing. Yeah.
0: Animals can't consent so we can do whatever we want to them. Which, I mean, it's a bummer. Animal testing should be its own. I don't know what the patriarchy angle is there, but when the animals are able to like walk away pretty much unscathed and it is great strides for human research, I'm like, okay, great. Greater good kind of a thing. right? But when they end up just killing a bunch of animals, it's a bummer. But yeah, identifying like these tiny, tiny cells, these mirror neurons, it means attaching electrodes deep inside the brain, not as practical in humans. So our testing has been less precise, but they use imaging where they see like which part of the brain lights up or is activated with EEGs and MRIs. EEG, I wanted to check because I didn't remember. It stands for electroencephalography. 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 Great. Third time I got it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a mouthful. And it records electrical activity in the brain. So neuronal activity. Those studies have suggested that we, too, have mirror neuron systems. They seem to be in the motor cortex, which is responsible for movement, in the parietal cortex, which is responsible for sensory processing, helps you understand where you are in relation to other things. Your senses are picking up around you. And just seem to be useful in helping us learn through observation and have a pretty strong evolutionary purpose here. So the jump that we make then in studying empathy is that maybe mirror neurons are also responsible for our empathetic experience of feeling what someone else is feeling after seeing them express that emotion. There's conflicting answers on this. But it seems pretty likely that mirror neurons have something to do with it. There's a fun quote I wrote down from this guy, Giacomo Rizzolatti. He's French. No, he's Italian. Uh, <laughs> well, I was like, the last name suggests. <laughs> I should have gone weirder than French. I should have been like, he's Icelandic or something like that. But no, he's definitely Italian. He said, It's because of mirror neurons that you blush when you see someone else humiliated, flinch when someone else is struck, and can't resist the urge to laugh when seeing a group struck with the giggles. Our mirror neurons were less specific than the monkeys. There's monkeys need to be an intent behind what someone is doing, like just scratching the head doesn't light up their mirror neuron system. But for humans, the intent component is less important. We're more just responsive to what other people are doing. There is there's a spectrum of sensitivity that people will have. There's something called mirror touch synesthesia, which is when someone has like a conscious experience of from seeing someone else be touched. Like, if someone gets touched, and they, they feel like they can feel it in their arm. Or, like, someone gets stabbed or something, and they feel the pain themselves. And people, we have this to some extent, you know? Like, you'll watch, I remember in The Quiet Place, the lady, not really, a, I don't know, spoiler alert? She yes. steps Spo- on the nail alert. <laughs> for this movie that came out forever ago. She's walking down the stairs, and she steps on a nail. Oh, yeah. And that was, like, the worst thing I'd seen in a movie in a long time. Because when I watched them on Be Beheaded, I'm like,
1: I don't know what that's. Yeah, you are like, <laughs> like, you're like you lost your head there, bud. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I've never been beheaded before. Nowhere near that.
0: Yeah, and I haven't stepped on a nail either. But I've stepped on pointy things. Right. I've had sharp things in my foot before, and it felt pretty like that could happen to me. Yes. So it's interesting. There, there are some people who are more sensitive to that experience, and people who have more active mirror neurons do seem to be more empathetic. Yeah, we've seen that the mirror neuron systems are activated when people experience empathy, but we don't actually know that the mirror neurons cause empathy. It's a causation correlation thing. Mm. I wrote a really unhinged note. These were my like 5 a.m. notes from last week. (laughs) Was this just you going on a rant? Like I did my notes, I'm just like... I did go on a rant. I think I got mad because neuroscientific is underlined in red in my um, Pages app. So I said, by the way, my spell check flags neuroscientific is not a real word, but it looks like a real word to me. So fuck you, Pages. (laughs) Mirror neurons might probably not explain empathy, but IDK, no one Ks, maybe related, it's interesting. So there. There we go. There we go. Thanks, 5 AM,
1: Allison. <laughs> now, there's a lot of, like, medical and, like, science words that pop up in my spell check all the time. I'm like, no, this is definitely... Weird. And then I, like, yeah. Google it because I'm like, I'm 100% <laughs> positive. But you know what? Maybe I'm 99.9. I look yeah. up, I'm like, no, it's fucking right. But it, like, it's, like, just read everywhere. And, like, True. medical stuff and, like, science stuff. I'm like, that's a fucking
0: word. Yeah. Neuroscientific seems like a like a wiktionary kind of an for entry. Neuroscience. Neuroscience for sure. Yeah. No, neuroscientific is not... That's not really a word. But if scientific is a word it's not a science a word. It's not a stretch, guys. No. It's You're
1: a word now. It's crazy
0: one. In one study, the participants had to identify the emotions of a son who was bringing home a failing report card and a dad who hadn't seen it yet. So, like, what are these characters going to be feeling in this example? And they also had they had to guess what the characters in the scene would feel if they had more information about what was going to happen. And what they saw was that one of the mirror neuron regions in our brains, it was active while the people were identifying emotions and the participants who scored as more empathetic were more active in that brain region. So there's definitely there's something going on here. There's a relationship. There is a relationship. More evidence for a neurobiological basis for empathy here. Um, There was a neuroscientist, Dr. Bruce Miller, and he found that his patients who had a particular type of dementia would consistently lose their empathy as a symptom of that dementia, and that's a degeneration of their brain. So if brain degeneration compromises your empathy, then there must be some part of your brain that's partially responsible for your empathy. But mirror neurons seem most useful for observational learning is what we've seen. Like if you watch a human do something, you are going to pick it up more quickly and easily than if you watch just like symbols try to explain it. Empathy is super important to us, even if we can't explain it by just a collection of cells in the brains. We definitely owe a lot of our survival to it because we are very social creatures. And that requires surviving for us, requires working with other people and relating to other people. I don't know what other mammals or creatures out there are not social, but... I've never really thought through this of, like, yeah, we need as a species to
1: be empathetic so we don't just, like, kill each other or, like, not care that people are suffering and dying.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of we're not we're not doing so well, maybe because of that reason. Well, as we've
1: talked about before in America, we're very individualistic. So the idea of this entire conversation is just communism. The idea of just, like, working together and caring about your fellow man and not wanting them to die is radical
0: in this country. But even like going back to a state of nature, when you think about early people learning how to farm and build communities and whatever that looked like, the world is a pretty big, scary place for one lone human. I would not, I would not survive off the land on my own. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. No, 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 not me. Even, Couldn't be me. No, could never be me. They do this in stuff you should know. They'll say tuk tuck. tuck. <laughs> you know, tuck, tuck. Like as a prototypical early human. But I feel like even in a small family, there's just so many elements around us and so much danger that we learned how to survive and got this far, and for better or for worse, unfortunately, Ugh. by building communities and having strategies that involve other people to survive. Because Tuck Tuck band together with
1: his family, now I have to go to work every day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that little creature crawling out of the water, smack him on the nose. Like this motherfucker. Go, go away. Go back. Go back in. You fucked it up. Stop having lungs. Yeah. Fortunately, empathy is something that we can develop. It's very subjective also in each, even in each person. There is a Stanford professor, Jamil Zaki, who was talking on the Afford Anything podcast. And he was talking about how we consistently have more empathy for our in-group. So one study of that was, like, people who are very pro a certain sports team would run into a jogger who had sprained their ankle who was wearing the opposing sports team jersey. And the person who was there to potentially help, if he had just, like, been put in a mindset of, like, why his team is the best and the other team sucks, he'd be much less likely to help that person. But if they were wearing the same jersey as him, well, then now, now I have time. <laughs> Humans are simple. We're dumb. We're tricked easily. These I mean are actors. These are not real
1: joggers. I mean, this makes sense in like a you're with your tribe yes, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, tribalism like, is you know, like stranger danger sort of situation. I mean, I guess I I, I get it, but yikes.
0: <laughs> yeah, we uh we can be Easily manipulated in that same study. They also had people be primed in a different way before going into this test scenario where they were just told to focus on like what they love about the sport. I think in this case it was he was saying soccer, but I think it was football because I think it was in England. I was picturing soccer with a ball on the ground, but I think soccer is football, right? In the in, rest of the world and every country. other country, but this okay. one, yes, yeah, ball is soccer. Soccer, Anyway, I was, I was going to try to repeat another meme about sports being like cock and ball torture, but minus the cock and torture. I'll just, I'll post that one too. I won't. I'm, I won't. I won't. You won't. I won't. It's not going to happen. Um, the soccer fans were primed by just like talking about what they love about soccer and then when they ran into a jogger down, it was less relevant what kind of jersey they were wearing because they weren't in the headspace of like, you guys suck. We rule. Right. And this has been repeated in different circumstances. like you have an in-group. Your in-group is your tribe. And that also that changes like I went to Berkeley. So this guy's a Stanford professor. Berkeley and Stanford are rivals, if I look at it that way. But we're, we also both live in California. So in that way, we're actually on the same team. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sports and, and big universities. Yes. Got it.
0: But people really are this simple. And yeah. it's good in if you can start to view people in a way that's less reductive and less black and white. You can develop more empathy for them. Because if I just look at someone as like they're a Trump supporter and I'm not, right. then it's like, fuck this guy. But if you can make them more complex and say like, well but they're also a trauma survivor. They also, they hate their job or something. Then it makes it easier to connect with other people because what you consider your in-group is environmental and it's not just one set of people. It's like, where are you in this space in this time? Yeah, I was going to say that makes a lot of
1: sense because, yeah, when you just reduce someone to one thing about them, mm-hmm. it's really easy. I mean, that's why I think there's so much like cyber bullying because it's just like, yeah. this motherfucker on here with an anime profile pic is saying like this, like, fuck yeah. you, dude. Yeah, yeah.
0: Totally. And I've also found for myself, like I grew up in a small town where I was told that Mexican people are lazy and stealing our jobs. (laughs) You wish. (laughs) You just can't get a job because you suck. And I never like got into that or felt racist toward Mexican people. But then I moved to a big city where I work in restaurants where it's like the hardest working people there are immigrants from Mexico and are sending money or not even just Mexico, but generally immigrants who are sending money home and realize that oh this isn't this isn't true at all. My perception of a group of people changed radically just by exposure, by more information. Yeah, and
1: that's usually how that works too. It's people live in a, a small little, microcosm and then you yeah. expand and then you're like oh wow the world isn't this black and white and simple and people aren't a monolith and you can't just reduce someone to to one stereo that's why stereotypes are bad people totally
0: it was musing the other day I'm like what would it be like just live in a little town where everyone looks the same and not travel a lot and that was just your whole world at least the internet has opened up the right. world more but I just feel like you do – you need to see people who are different from you so that you can understand them more, make them more complex, and then it's much, much easier to empathize with them.
1: Yeah, I think about that all the time. It's like there's – I'm sure pre-internet and pre-easily accessible transportation, a lot of the world lived like that where it's like you didn't really leave your little community or your country or your city or whatever, and then that's that was that was life. You might not ever see another person that's like a different – race or anything your entire life and it just blows my mind but that's a lot of people's reality britney spears grandmother for example yeah didn't leave England, <laughs> and then she went to louisiana she's like the fuck <laughs> is this podunk shit <laughs> yeah
0: I'm still i'm still thinking about her oh, poor woman <laughs> there's a researcher peggy mason who did a rat study because we're usually, back in our rats usually <laughs> rats monkeys mice um, rats are really smart, though. I know. Rats are so smart, and they're so cute. They're so cute, and I really wanted a pet rat, but I think my cat would get too excited. Yeah. we I think we talked about that in the episode. It's like, they don't live very long, and our cats would just probably kill them. devour them. Yeah. You know? But these rats in her study, um, she was studying empathy, and she wanted to know if rats did express empathy, and they did without having... I mean, she was saying, like, they don't have language. They don't have social structure like we do. I feel like we just don't understand the rat structure. I feel... They definitely... Oh, yeah. They're living complex they're lives. that We just don't lives. have the language to explain. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they have little rat
1: language squeaks. Yeah, You know, it may not be complex language, but no. they, they be squeaking.
0: Yeah, her point was that empathy must be biological if it's that animals are experiencing it, too. I don't think that's true. I mean, I think... In the question of nature versus nurture, the answer is always yes. It is both. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's—I mean—that seems to be true in animal species as well. By the way, we say as well a lot. I think we picked it up from each other. compounded. I take out some of them, but oh, please um, do. I—I I, I hear myself
1: repeating <laughs> stuff, and I'm like, I can't stop it. It's already out of my mouth, and I'm just like, yeah, I can't. We got a lot of you. Knows. I can't take it. I can't take it a back because it ruined the flow. Oh well, the likes. That's. It's too, late. It's, it's too late for that one. I'm fucked. I hear my, same thing. I
0: hear myself. I'm like, stop, stop. And I just said, like, just ow. I've been talking over you more now. I don't think I used to. It feels natural in the space. Like we're just conversing. But then when I listen back, I'm like, Allison, shut up. She wasn't talking. It's okay. But I'll try not to. I mean, that's you. I, I, it, it's uh, fine. Uh,
1: uh, stop interrupting me. <laughs> I'll just yell
0: at you every time. I guess we could take our break now. Actually, yeah, just that's a great, yes, yeah. yeah, but we're at a good time to take a break. We'll be right back. We've returned from our break. We did so much during our break. <laughs> You've missed out. <laughs> I just bitched. I just bitched for five minutes. I drank some water, and listened to her bitch. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for that. You're for staying hydrated <laughs> and for listening. <laughs> staying in my lane. <laughs> Moisturized. <laughs> But we were just talking about rats, rat
1: babies, cute rats, little rats. Was this the – I don't remember all the details because this was that episode forever. Was that the rat study about like one of – it would be two rats one of them would be like trapped in the little tube and then there was like a latch to get them out and they would get them out every time even if there wasn't a treat or reward?
0: Oh. Actually, you know the way she talked about it. I have. I don't. It might have
1: been a different study. Yeah, it might
0: part of the study, they were establishing that rats had empathy. That wasn't the part that I was focused on, but it was something about like they would free another rat even at uh, their own personal risk, like yeah. kind of put them in some kind of danger. So yeah, it, I'm sure it was either the same or a similar study. It was
1: like a huge study because we always think that we're superior to animals right. in every way, shape, or form. So like, guys, animals have empathy, and it's like <laughs> I kind of figured that. <laughs> My- I've seen animals interact with each other.
0: And my cat, when I'm sad, she knows. Yes, they they
1: they absolutely know. Yeah, hundred percent.
0: I was playing a video game and she was curled up next to me. And I like tensed up without even thinking about it, but it was Minecraft, guys. It wasn't anything like <laughs> Call of Duty. Just I was playing Minecraft. Let's be real, that was the game. And the villagers were attacking, and it was like a whole raid situation. I was like so focused. And she, like, starts licking me and puts her paws on me and, like, oh, looks Mama. so concerned. I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's all fake. <laughs> like, it's just fake war. It's fine. Yeah. But she knew because she could feel.
1: She she knew. See? Yeah. time I'm really sad, it's just my, my cat's just, like,
0: right <sighs> next to me, just like, mmm. our babies. But step one of the study was establishing that, yes, rats have empathy. Step two was who do they show empathy toward? What other rats do they show empathy toward? So they had two different breeds of rat. They look different, but I don't know if rats really care about the way other rats look. I think they could probably sense when they're the same breed. But one was an albino rat and one was a black rat. So this very easily can track onto studies about race, which they have made that parallel. So the albino rats didn't show empathy for other breeds of rats unless they had even just, like, one rat from that other breed in their enclosure and, like, hang out with them for a while. And then once they got to know that rat that looked and was just a different breed from them, then they would show the same level of empathy toward any other rat of that breed, even if it wasn't that same rat. So same thing. It's
1: exposure. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's like, oh, you
1: guys are, you're safe. You're also rats. Like, it's fine. Yeah, I've met a, a rat like you before. He was an <laughs> all right guy. Yeah. You might be an all right guy too.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're thinking. I, in their little rat brains, with their little rat squeaks. That's yeah. what they're doing. Yes. Um, but also rats who were raised with different types of rats. They would call this like the Mowgli experiment. Rats who were raised with a different breed of rat would treat those different rats as their own breed like they didn't show like the albino rat raised with the black rats didn't show empathy toward albino rats unless they had more exposure to them even though they looked the same i don't know if rats are looking in mirrors i'm not sure what their theory of mind is like yeah i don't i
1: don't have all the information on this but i have read before that animals don't perceive mirrors like we do that's why like when dogs get in front of mirrors they start barking because they think it's another dog they don't understand that mirrors are reflections of them so I don't think even if they had a mirror, they would recognize self.
0: It doesn't seem that they can. Yeah. No, they don't seem to get it. And I don't know what the human studies around this look like. All of this was just like so many rabbit trails to go down. But what this is showing is that with animals, at least with rats, and I'm sure with humans, too, it's like who you are raised around can become your in-group. Even if they do look different from you, it doesn't matter. It's still, it's how you're socialized. Mm-hmm. Again, nature versus nurture. So.
1: Reminds me of those like cute animal videos where it's like this cat was raised around dogs their whole life. And like the cat like barks and like (laughs) digs and burrows. And you're like, that's not what cats do. But it's only been around dogs its whole life. How is it supposed to know? Totally.
0: But that's good because then if there is a group of people who you feel very alienated from, it just means by spending more time around them, then they can become very familiar. Mm hmm. Around World War Two, there were some integrated platoons and some that were not. It wasn't about... This wasn't a psychology study. This was just the way that... This is just the way of the world. <laughs> it's yeah. World War II, buddy. Yeah, but there was a psychologist who was curious about what the result of that was, how people changed after having that experience of being in an integrated platoon or not. So he interviewed white soldiers and the ones who had been in the integrated platoons supported integration in the military and beyond, like almost unanimously. Wow. But the ones who hadn't didn't believe that they should be integrated. Just by having been through that experience, it's like, if you've lived it, then you're like, yeah, of course, it's fine. That's my blood. What buddy. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Everyth-
1: everything was fine. Yep. That makes sense. And especially like back then, things were much more... Isolated too, so you did probably live in your really small town and everything mm-hmm. was super segregated.
0: I love a resourceful psychologist who's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I got some. Think- I'm curious. I got some theories here. Yeah, just use Let's what's see. already around.
1: Sometimes the best studies are just like <laughs> natural things that are already occurring. Yeah. You can just collect the data from.
0: It's not always that easy. Sometimes we'll remove people from that category. We'll be like, "Oh, you're one of the good ones. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. that's definitely a thing. Yeah, so it's not it's not always as easy as we want it to be. But we do know that people can become more empathetic over time. There was a study from the Max Planck Institute in Germany where people practiced a specific type of meditation. It's a Buddhist practice called Metta. Two T's. It has nothing to do with our evil overlords. Metta. <laughs> metta. <laughs> or loving kindness meditation. I'm triggered though now whenever I hear Metta. I'm like, Same.
1: Ah. like, fuck this
0: up. Yeah. They practiced this type of meditation for nine months every day, and they became noticeably more empathetic. They could test as caring more about other people, being more altruistic, and then also the parts associated with empathy in their brain visibly grew as well. Because the brain, as well, see. <laughs> it's also, the and? It's always the same tone. <laughs> um, their brain changed through this process through meditation which is like people have been saying meditation is good I've always known that and I've never
1: yeah no I I would love to be able to meditate that sounds so cool and like this is what you're telling me right now I'm like that's that's awesome I can't shut off my brain in that way or even like focus on one thing at a time I'm I, I mean did you find out what this Meta <laughs> the meditation included.
0: I just know it's also called loving kindness meditation, so that sounds good. But no, I didn't look into what you'd have to do because I knew I would never do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I Like we've talked about before, it's like I really like yoga, but I like the, the yoga part, not the... D- Meditation. I'm thinking the whole time oh yeah they're like clear your mind I'm like sure bud (laughs) going through my grocery
0: list I gotta remember to put toilet paper on my grocery list I don't even do the guided meditation part in the beginning sometimes I'll be like sometimes yoga teachers and I do a lot of yoga and I teach yoga so I feel okay shitting on them a little bit but it's like they have a a podium and they're so excited to share whatever they've been reading or whatever they're thinking about or just about themselves Mm I hate that I'm not here to hear about how your move is going, Natalie, or hear no. about the Buddhist book you're reading. Like, I'm glad you're reading it. That's but so cool. Awesome. I don't need to know about it. I'm nope. not at church. Nope. So I do tune that out as well. Same. Mm. <clears throat> not as well. <laughs> I do tune that out I, I do also. that also. <laughs> I, too, have been known to do that. <laughs> Much more natural. No one will mind that. Um, I'll just hand it off to you, because I think this will be a good transition, just to say a little more neuroscience-y that they think that there is a specific part of the brain where empathy originates. It's not the mirror neurons, but it's the anterior insular cortex, which is responsible for our emotional feelings like love and anger and happiness. So empathy seems to start from that part of the brain where feelings come from. And if you can identify something in the brain and if you can see it change over time – The brain is super plastic. When you play guitar, the part of your brain that's responsible for, like, controlling your fret hand, the hand you play with, that will grow. They will see it change. So we are not set in stone. And even if you, like me, worry that you are not always the most empathetic person and could get better at it, good news. You can.
1: You can. Yeah. You just got to do this meditation, Allison. (laughs) Or do you have to do acid? Well, well, well. Looky here. So we wanted to dive into, do psychedelics actually make you more (laughs) empathetic? Because you hear your crunchy hippie friend say that shit and talk about ego death and learning empathy. And there's that meme that goes around that's, you know, men learn empathy after doing psychedelics and women have the same revelations when they're 12 years old. So, of course, we had to look into it. And naturally, there's been so many studies done on psychedelics and your brain and empathy to find... If it's if this is true or if people just say this because they're <laughs> on drugs, I read about six different studies and essentially they would either reference each other or the studies would have the same conclusion. So I'm just going to kind of go through some of the a little bit neuroscience, too, which is, which is not my cup of tea. <laughs> here we are. Okay, I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a great time here. So the theory is that there's three interrelated neural mechanisms by which psychedelics might exert an effect on empathy. So there's an interaction with the 5-HT system as the 5-HT 2A receptor agonist or the deactivation of the default mode network, which is like a group of brain stuff. We'll get into it. are also called the DMN, which is going to be confusing. So it's going to be called the default mode network. And increasing neural connectivity. So, the big one that they think is the cause for increasing empathy is the agonist effect on the 5 HT system. So, agonist means like they're friends. So like antagonist is the opposite, right? That means that someone that's fucking with you and trying to stop you. So an agonist <laughs> like means it's, they're helping you. That's how I remember because agonist still sounds bad. You're like, oh, no, like, like antonym, like right. bad, opposite. No, agonist, I have to think antagonist is bad. So agonist is good. So agonist is your friend. They're helping you along. They can, they can increase the effect of something. So they increase this, and this is a serotonin receptor, What this does when you do psychedelics is it acts on these receptors. And there was studies that looked at, okay, so is this just happening when you're fucked up or is this like a long-term effect? The answer is we haven't done super long-term studies, but they did study people that were high the day after and seven days post. And even the seven days post administration of psychedelics that they did show people performed better on empathy tests. Than they did prior to taking the psychedelics. So even seven days afterwards, you become more
0: empathetic. I was really hoping there would be a resounding like yes or no answer to this, but I should have known with science. With science. And stuff, it can't
1: be black and no, white. It's baby. gonna be
0: like, well, but more studies.
1: Yeah. I think they need more long-term studies, which is kind of hard to do when we're just now sort of being allowed to to test this on people and test psychedelics in a in a scientific capacity. And be able to get funding for it. So I think in, in a long-term sense, we'll probably have more data in, in a few years. But that was good to know that it actually it actually does do that.
0: <laughs> That's something. It's not just a meme. Yeah, correct. So the um, 5-HT
1: receptors are responsible for passive coping with stress. They help with anxiety and anti-aggression effects. So there's the 5-HT1A and the 5-HT2A. So there's basically a one and two receptors or two receptors responsible for this. And the second one's more responsible for, like, coping and cognitive flexibility and creative thinking. So even when you're also Mm -hmm. doing psychedelics and you're, like, feel like you're more creative, there's actually some science behind that because it's affecting the serotonin receptors in your brain. They also did a lot of studies where they're connecting this with SSRIs to see – if this is similar for people with, like, depression and stuff, which is a completely different tangent. But, of course, this came up a lot in the empathy studies with depression as well. A lot of these studies did test both. I mean, it would be, like, how does it help with depression, Mm -hmm. how does it increase your empathy, and how does it help with creativity? So there was a lot of testing both of these because there's a lot of overlap in these parts of the brains and the type of receptors that they're working on for anti-depression and for empathy. So in this one study, they found that intravenous administration of 75 micrograms of LSD led to a reduction in the number of linguistic references to mental time travel to the past, which is like rumination. So people that are depressed usually ruminate Mm. more on, like, past mistakes or, like, the past or things they regret, and that kind of leads into a spiral of depression. So even when they do psychedelics, they have less of these ruminating actions post administration of LSD. Can you imagine being in these studies and they're like, I'm just going to dose you because a lot of these were like, I'm going to give you 50 micrograms, 100, 75, up to like 200 and they test all the different dosages in like multiple (laughs) different people. It's like, I want to be in the 200 microgram
0: group. I would do it for sure if there's an excuse to do that. And in a controlled environment, too, because I'm sure they took care of these people. It wasn't like you're oh God, yeah. at a rave. Yeah. <laughs> people right, have fun, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call me when you're done.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to throw you in the woods by yourself. <laughs>
0: right, alone and cold. <laughs> Um, and they probably want to legalize hallucinogens for therapeutic use, which is yes. why it's like we need to establish that they're helpful for both depression and empathy and creative thinking. Right.
1: It's it. like, this is a positive, too. Like, totally. I, we probably need more empathy in this country and less depressed people. Because so. yeah. we're all really depressed and... uh we're not getting a lot of empathy. So we need to uh, decrease our depression and increase everybody else's empathy. The second area that they think that psychedelics work to help with empathy is the default mode network, which includes the medial prefrontal cortex, the posterior cingulate cortex, and the temporal parietal junction. So the default mode network is like an area of the brain. And that usually helps with your rest and the rumination part that we just talked about. So when it deactivates this sort of chill area of your brain that's just supposed to help you with like rest and that also causes that rumination, that self-reflection in the negative light, then you're going to be happier and you're going to be like more on. It's going to like fire up your synapses more, which is the third reason that they think it helps with empathy is it increases neural connectivity. Um, They've also noted this with psychedelic use with MRI imaging studies that they see different parts of the brain that light up and turn off. So it just turns off Turns off some of the bad parts and turns on some of the good parts, including like visual, auditory, and somatosensory cortexes, such as the bilateral temporal parietal junction like we just talked about, and the insular cortex, which you talked about. These psychedelics hit on the parts of the brain that are related to empathy.
0: Yeah, I think the big question is just is it long term or not? Because for sure everyone I've been around who's on hallucinogens is very – I mean, there's yeah, like a course. lovey, there's a softness to it. No one's, there's no anger there. It's like, how could you just be raging Yeah, something in that state? Yeah.
1: But the, the plus side is even seven days afterwards, yeah. which is a
0: decent amount of time. Was it do you know if it was the same like they tested the same in terms of empathy or reduced depression or was there a decline because it
1: didn't say there was a decline so I would have to assume that it was the same or very similar like marginally if there was any sort of major difference it would have stated but it was like even seven it would said I think even the phrase was like even seven days afterwards there was still improved empathy. Post seven days administration compared to before the administration of the psychedelics.
0: Calm back. It's been a while. Let's check in. I know. It's like and also know. I
1: think the question too, and that we also don't have the data for, is like, is it just a one and done situation? Or is like yeah. how, how often do we need to imbibe? Administer the dose. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's what they're trying to work on too. It's like how much, how often, and for how long?
0: Probably also under what circumstances, because I think with these, I hear a lot about therapeutic uses of ketamine or MDMA or hallucinogen, psilocybin. Like, that's all great. But when I see people doing them at a party, I don't feel like they're getting the same benefit. It should be done in a setting with like a therapist and not yeah. while you're also drinking and out because they say that like yeah just one dose of ketamine or whatever can potentially improve your symptoms but it's like in what context yeah seems important
1: yeah and that's the thing too because it's also like where are we getting the ketamine <laughs> how much yeah. ketamine are we doing <laughs> How much did we run into our soda ex-boyfriend
0: soda on ketamine with? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah like exactly like how much of this is just actual ketamine yeah. here yeah. let's be real street drugs are mostly <laughs> not mostly but it depends on how much filler you're getting there for sure interesting though in all of the all of the studies it showed psilocybin increases emotional empathy but it did not affect moral decision making or cognitive empathy at all that wasn't just psilocybin it was all of the studies that showed that the emotional empathy was increased but the cognitive empathy did not change before or after and any sort of like moral decision making like in any sort of scenario situation didn't change after administration. So it was just emotional empathy in regards to empathy. The default mode network that gets turned off when you're on hallucinogens also is the area that is affiliated with ego. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when we're turning this area off, when we're doing mushrooms, it's also correlated with ego death. And they say this is more apparent when you do LSD. Versus other hallucinogens, which is what every fucking crunchy dude at a party says to you, anyways. It's yeah. like, you got to experience ego death by doing acid, bro. And unfortunately, <laughs> there is science that backs that up. But Damn. again, it's about the longevity. Are you just having the ego death in a short amount of time, either during or even a little bit afterwards, or is this like a lifelong ego death? Can you can you get the ego back? Can you re- <laughs> resurrect the ego and then right. kill it again? Yeah, and then you're gonna like zombify your ego and then like keep re killing it constantly. I guess that's the that's the question. The the answers that we don't have yet because mm. we don't have the data in like a really long term study. Because again, funding, legalities, and all of that stuff. Um, the earliest study I saw was like 2000 three oh no not even that was just a study about serotonin receptors so no most of these studies are pretty recent within the past like 10 years right
0: we're getting more, uh, moving more in the direction of legalization for therapeutic purposes. Yeah, I had
1: a guy harass me outside of Target, and I was like, can you sign this so we can (laughs) legalize psilocybin for veterans? I'm like, why can't I legalize psilocybin for everybody? But yes, I will will sign it for you guys. That's totally fair and just, and I will do that for you.
0: It is, yeah. We had a petition up for that, actually, at one of my jobs that said, free magic mushrooms! And then in, like, fine print, it was a clickbait headline, but on a piece of paper, but it was still clickbait. I'm doing it said legalize psilocybin for therapeutic use, like free it from. That. Good, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I remember yeah. seeing that and being like, Oh, sick dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're into it. But it definitely won't be when these things are legalized. It'll be very locked down. It definitely won't. Be accessible from, we're not going to have mushroom weed shops in our lifetime. I think it's going to be prescriptive only. Yes, and under doctor supervision and micro, micro doses.
1: About to say, I was like, people aren't going to be like taking a giant amount of acid and like driving and being like fucked up and hallucinating actively. It's going to be, like you said, microdoses. It's going to be prescribed. It's going to be pure and it's going to be like really hard to get. It's like you only get 30 for a six month period or something like that. So it's like you can't really be fucking with it.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like from what you said that. The parts of your brain that hallucinogens act on happen to also be responsible for ego and for empathy. And I feel like people have heard before that acid will give you a rush of serotonin. So we think about that in terms of being happy. Yes. But it's like also the same area that's going to control empathy because we saw that like all of these emotions are regulated by the same processes. Yep. Because of that, then yeah. It will affect your empathy mm-hmm. I'm skeptical about forever changes, yeah,
1: I think it would have to be because that's the thing too. It's like I didn't read anything about it, creating like new synapses or, like new connections after you do it it's just more about like it increased blood flow to like this part of the brain that helps with empathy and it decreased blood flow to this part of the brain which is in charge of ego so i mean that's just kind of like how drugs work in yeah. general is like they kind of fuck with your brain in certain ways or they fuck with your transmitters or what parts of your brain gets turned on and off like that's that's drugs like i'm i'm talking all drugs like even prescriptions totally. like psych drugs That's how... That's how drugs work. That's medicine. Sure, yeah. (laughs) That's pharmacology.
0: Yeah. (laughs) In a nutshell. Drugs in the brain are just the coolest. I love that.
1: I just like how a lot of psych drugs, though, they're like, how does this work? And they're like, (laughs) eh. They're like, we think by this, but also... (laughs) Yeah, it might help. It also might make it much worse. Yeah, it also might make you um, unalive yourself. try and find out. (laughs) (laughs) Get back to me in two weeks if you're not, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Cool, that was super interesting. Yeah, I feel more empathetic already. Did you meditate when I wasn't looking? (laughs) Because that... Also, though, I don't know if that was long-term now that I say that. I mean, that probably is doing a similar thing to your brain because... The brain changes on its own quite a lot. We have to do things to influence it, but you don't need drugs to develop empathy is what we've seen.
1: Yes. I think the brain's its own thing and I think it's very special and it has like a lot of crazy things going on that we still don't know everything about. Like it's so complex. But in a lot of ways too, we have to think of it as Uh, another organ that we have that you have to take care of and sometimes it's the same thing like if you have a heart problem you can't take a heart medicine once and then you're cured Mm -hmm. you know you have to have like maintenance (laughs) or you have to take you know your blood pressure medication every day or whatever it may be so in the same way with my antidepressants like I don't just like take it once and I'm like I'm cured of depression yeah (laughs) you have to keep taking these things and sometimes you become Immune to them, you got to change them and your body changes and, you know.
0: Which means that taking acid once probably doesn't teach you empathy. Sweet. Probably.
1: Yeah, that is, hmm. that is kind of what I was, I, I was like, I think, therefore I am. But um, <laughs> I'm postulating that you would probably have to upkeep with this.
0: I was just hoping we would get a way to like throw it back in that dude's face. He's like metaphorical. I mean, I have met guys who say things like this, but I'm sort of envisioning him like taken out of Burning Man. and He's got like face tattoos and he's talking about ego death. I wanted to throw something back in his face. I think that that line of thought of, like, you can take this and then you'll be good isn't true. And instead, it's a ongoing learning process. Yeah.
1: I mean, opening people to that experience that they wouldn't have had prior, like, if it was a really narcissistic dude that takes right. something like that right. and does experience that emotion for the first time. I think is maybe important for people that need, right. <laughs> need ego. Yeah, to if
0: to you, you need it. that.
1: <laughs> so in that aspect that's a positive.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean, that was great research and great to learn about. Love yeah. it. I am Missandrist Memes on Instagram. And I am TX Goth GF. And we are sadgap.podcast. You can email us at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a note, question, comment, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you. And
1: please give us a review and a rating. On Spotify, you can give us five stars. On Apple, you can write us a little sweet review, please, or on any of the podcast platforms that you choose and share with a friend.
0: I hope y'all are tripping your brains out right now. And we're stronger together, man. We'll see you next time. Bye.